You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Um, well, yes, it is an honor for me to be with you all. Lower your expectations. Sarah says I'm a great communicator. You will find out that she exaggerated quite a bit. Um, but I, I love getting to spend uh, any evening I can with you all. So uh, thanks for being willing to let me come here and share with you. Um, my name is Jordan, and I've been here at Faith Chapel my whole life. I grew up in Billings. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet, uh, I've got a wife. Her name is Alyssa. We've been married for almost 11 years, um, which is phenomenal. I can't believe that it's been that long. Um, I've got two boys, Harvey, who's uh, eight, and Cohen, who is four, and they're they're loud. They're loud boys. They keep me on my toes. Um, yeah, there's not much else to say about that, but they're fantastic, and I love getting to be a dad um, and getting to, to do life with Alyssa. So you guys are in a series called um, Until I Breathe My Last, I think is the name of the series. I hope I got that right. If I didn't, uh, you can tell Evan that I did get it right, because he'll ask. Um, but we're in Second Peter, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking through different chapters in different parts of Second Peter, and I uh, picked Second Peter 2, and that was a really silly thing to do, because what you're going to find out is it's a really weird chapter. <laughs> uh, chapter 1 is super cool. Peter, it's the, written by the Apostle Peter to the scattered church, to the, it's called the diaspora, it's people scattered all over the place, and uh, it's this big reminder, and so in chapter 1, I'm not going to spend too much on it, because Evan talked through it, if you missed it, you can go back and check it out, and catch up, and what I'll say will make more sense, but what we're going to do tonight is we're going to like zoom in on chapter 2, because Peter has some really, really interesting things to say in his reminder, but, but the book of Second Peter is this reminder to the church, to the early church of what the gospel really it is, how to have a fruitful life, to watch out for false believers, and then it ends with an encouragement, which I believe is what Evan talked about last week. So tonight, we are going to go straight into chapter two. Now, here's what we're going to do since we're in a book study. We're going to read the entire chapter together. And before you roll your eyes, I'm sorry, we'll at least read it in the message. The message is a, a specific type of interpretation of the Bible that's written in more common everyday language. And since we're dealing with such a unique passage, I wanted to read the entire thing. So we go, oh, okay, I see everything that is said in this chapter. And then we're going to go through this chapter and try and figure out what the heck is Peter trying to say to the church. And then we're going to use this and try and figure out, okay, how does Jesus fit into all of this? And what does it mean for us as a group of people in 2024? Because that, that is kind of how where this passage just gets a little bit bizarre. So bear with me. Here we go. Second Peter chapter two, we're diving in the entire thing in the message translation. If you brought your own Bible, the message translation will be on the screens behind me. Anna, that's your cue. All right, here we go. But there were also lying prophets among the people then, just as there will be lying religious teachers among you. They'll smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They've put themselves on a fast downhill slide to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed up followers who can't tell right from wrong. They give the way of truth a bad name. They're only out for themselves. They'll say anything, anything that sounds good to exploit you. They won't, of course, get by with it. They'll come to a bad end, for God has never just stood by and let that kind of thing go on. 
God didn't let the rebel angels off the hook, but jailed them in hell till judgment day. Neither did he let the ancient ungodly world off. He wiped it out with a flood, rescuing only eight people. Noah, the sole voice of righteousness, was one of them. God decreed destruction for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. A mound of ashes was all that was left. Grim warning to anyone bent on an ungodly life. But that good man Lot, driven nearly out of his mind by the sexual filth and perversity, was rescued. Surrounded by moral rot day after day after day, that righteous man was in constant torment. So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials, and he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until judgment day. God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule, insolent egotists. They don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures. Even angels, their superiors in every way, wouldn't think of throwing their weight around like that, trying to slander others before God. These people are nothing but brute beasts, born in the wild, predators on the prowl. In the very act of bringing down others with their ignorant blasphemies, they themselves will be brought down, losers in the end. Their evil will boomerang on them. They are so despicable and addicted to pleasure that they indulge in wild parties, carousing in broad daylight. They're obsessed with adultery, compulsive in sin, seducing every vulnerable soul they come upon. Their specialty is greed, and they're experts at it, dead souls. They've left the main road and are directionless, having taken the way of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophet, who turned profiteer, a connoisseur of evil. But Balaam was stopped in his wayward tracks. A dumb animal spoke in a human voice and prevented the prophet's craziness. There's nothing to these people. They're dried up fountains, storm-scattered clouds, headed for a black hole in hell. They are loudmouths, full of hot air, but they're still dangerous. Men and women who have recently escaped from a deviant life are most susceptible to their brand of seduction. They promise these newcomers freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For if they're addicted to corruption, and they are, they're enslaved. If they've escaped from the slum of sin by experiencing our master and savior, Jesus Christ, and then slid back into that same old life again, they're worse than if they had never left. Better not to have started out on the straight road to God than to start out and then turn back, repudiating the experience and the holy command. They prove the point of the Proverbs. A dog goes back to its own vomit and a scrubbed up pig heads for the mud. (laughs) Brutal, right? This is just the weirdest passage. Like, what are we getting at here? So ultimately, what Peter's trying to do, this, and and part of why I want to do the whole thing, because it's, it's a lot. There's so much happening in this text, but ultimately what Peter is trying to communicate is that there will be false teachers out there to watch out and to be careful. And so point number one is the weirdest point I've ever made, and it's just predators. There will be predators among you. Be careful, look out. And here's, here's what we know about them. And this is what Peter outlined. So that first section, he's giving this strong warning. Watch out. 
There used to be false teachers. There were before. And so he uses all this history to make his point from the Old Testament. He's pointing back to what used to be saying. There were false teachers back then and there will be false teachers now. And they're going to speak to our desires. They're going to use our desires for greed, for lust, for all these different things. And they're going to twist them. And they're going to say things that sound nice. What we wish were maybe true. They're going to be so close to the truth, but it'll be just a little bit twisted. And it's all to benefit themselves. And the whole reason he says this is because it's easy to get lost. He wants to remind this early church, it can happen to you too. You could get lost. And what we wish, what I wish for you, what I wish for all of us, is that there weren't people out there for their own gain. And that when we went to places and when we had teachers and people in authority, that we could trust everybody. And then we could go, yeah, of course, they're out for my good. They're in leadership. They're they're a person that I, I can trust. And what they say is good and true and I can follow it. But the reality of our broken world is that's that that is not always the case. There will be people that are not trustworthy. And so Peter's lining it out because he's saying those people can lead you astray and they will lead others astray with them. It's easy to get lost. And they will have things that they're trying to get you to follow that are just a little bit easier. I had a conversation with a gentleman last week and he came in and he was looking for, for prayer. He wanted, he wanted somebody to talk through what was going on in his life. And as we, as we discussed what was happening, it, it came to the surface that this guy was so mad at God. He was absolutely livid. And the reason he was mad at God is because he told me that God wouldn't control his ex-wife to do what he had hoped he would, she would, and that God hadn't magically restored the relationship with his daughter. And those are both heartbreaking things as far as like the state of his life. I, I, I felt for him. But what he kept coming back to is why hasn't God answered my prayers? And somewhere along the line, this man had come to the conclusion that God should just take away the consequences of his decisions, that God should just fix everything. If I've asked God to do this, why hasn't he done it? And so he wanted God to be maybe a genie or a magician or a vending machine that he could just pick out the perfect thing and go, okay, God, I want this today. And then when it didn't happen that way, he was upset. And so what, what Peter's pointing at is this type of thing where, where we can twist the gospel just enough. Some false teachers will be among the church. He's warning them to say, there will be those among you who twist it just enough so that God looks like something he's not. And it'll be an easier gospel. It's not quite as difficult, but it sure sounds nice. And so his warning is watch out for those who make the gospel easy. And how do we identify them? How would, how, would, how would the early church identify them? And what he's trying to say is anybody who says, Jesus said this in his own life, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's what Jesus said. Peter's hinting at anybody who says that Jesus is not the way, that Jesus is not the truth, well then there will be no life as a result. So watch out for those who, who make Jesus out not to be the way and the truth. 
And then he, then he takes his time. There's that like weird passage where, he's, where Peter's talking about all the, the different scenarios where, where God holds people to account. And I won't read back through it, but essentially what he's doing is he's going through three different specific scenarios in the Old Testament, in the story of the Hebrew people, the Israelite people. And he's saying, these are examples that you can trust that God knows what he's doing. That God knows how, even in the midst of this unfortunate truth that there are wicked people among you, wicked false teachers, he's saying, we can trust God because look at all three of these situations where God delivered the wicked to justice and brought godly people away from these evil situations. He rescued the godly out of the evil situations. So Peter's trying to say that even those who give truth a bad name, they will have a reckoning in the end. We can trust God. Remember all of these scenarios where God did these things. Then point number two, fun again, on the prowl. So Peter's going to take this next section and he's going to describe these false teachers. And it's, um, it's, it's intense. It's a little bit like heavy. It's a little over the top, but it's a warning. He's trying to do a couple of things, I think, in what he's doing. Number one, he's trying to completely dismiss the value of these false teachers and, and call them out to what they are. But I also think that in this extreme scenario, it's a warning to those who might be drifting to not go this way because this is where you end up. And I think what's true of, of humans is I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says, oh, I want to be in this situation. I want to be a false teacher out for my own gain, opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think anybody wakes up that way. But, but in any scenario in our life where things start to take a downward turn, it happens over time. That small things left unchecked bring us to a place where sometimes we wake up and go, how did I get here? I didn't intend to be here, but all of a sudden I'm in a place I never wanted to be. And so what Peter is saying, for those who would want to follow Jesus, this is the extreme. This is the far, far end of it. So be careful that you don't end up here and so he's going to just spend a whole, whole chunk of time listing what they look like. So the first descriptor, I won't get all of them, but the first descriptor of them is they despise interference from true authority. And I think this one is, is important to hit because humans love autonomy. We love to be on our own and to do whatever we want to do. And that's even accentuated over here in the West, in America. We love our freedom. And as humans, there's just something in us that says, don't tell me what to do and how to live my life. I heard a quote recently, and it was something like this. The essence of sin is a desire to do what we want that the essence of sin, boiling it all down, is it's a desire to just do what I want. And the quote might go something like this, don't tell me what to do with my money, with my time, or with my sexuality. It's off limits. And so we can find ourselves as humans having that posture and that attitude where we're saying, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Because a correction, often when we get corrected, what does that mean? It means there might have been a mistake. And no one likes making mistakes. But unchecked, that leads to arrogance. It leads to being in a place where we're overly 
confident. And then Peter has this, I have to address it because it's just a really, every time I've talked to people about this passage, this one comes up. So I'm gonna try and give you a picture of what he's talking about here because I think it's confusing. But he talks about the angels. And so he compares humans to angels in this situation. And so he's saying, even angels won't slander others to God. And and here's, here's the best illustration I have about what Peter is trying to say about the arrogance of these false teachers. So uh, several years ago, I got to go to Brazil uh, on a mission trip. And while we were down there, it happened to coincide with the World Cup. And we, it was, it was phenomenal. It was so cool because we were in Sao Paulo and on the, the day that Brazil played, I think it was the Netherlands, the entire city shut down and everybody's watching Brazil versus the Netherlands. But what was absolutely fascinating was while we're watching professional soccer players in the World Cup, the most elite right, place to be, right? These Brazilians were like, yelling at the screen, I could have made that shot, I could have made that pass. And I mean, you, you can see that like, you know, I mean, you probably know somebody who does that watching NFL or watching any sport. Like when we get upset, we look at somebody and go, oh, even I could have done that. But then if you hear interviews from other teammates, they're like, oh yeah, that situation, man, that was a hard, hard situation. They did the best that they could. They won't slander to each other. These professional players won't slander to each other because they know how difficult the sport is. And so this is the idea Peter's getting at here, is that when false teachers become so arrogant, they will talk poorly about anybody to God. But even angels who are superior in their obedience to God, even they won't say poor things about other creatures. And that's the picture he's trying to say. Is like, just like sometimes we get so self-absorbed and think we could score a goal or do something that even the pros know is difficult, Peter's saying, Well, these false teachers think they're so great that they'll cross a line and slander others before God and even they wouldn't do that. Okay, so that's that's kind of the point there. The, The next several are addicted to pleasures, carousing in broad daylight, obsessed with adultery, compulsive in sin. Their specialty is greed and they're experts at it. And so what I want to do is... I want to take these, these things and I want to look at all of them and I want to use them as a mirror to our own lives. Because even though this is about the false teachers, I think anytime we read a list like this, anytime you see critic, critique in, in the Bible about somebody's behavior, I think it's healthy to say, is there anything in my life that would reflect this? Because most of the time there might be something. And it might even be really, really small. So I don't know, how about you? But I, I, uh, I used to hate sparkling water. I absolutely hated it. I would make fun of it. I thought LaCroix was trash and scum of the earth. I would make fun of people who drank it. I'm like, why would you spend money on this garbage? It is water with bubbles and an essence of lime or an essence of raspberry. What does that even mean? It's flavorless trash. And I don't know what happened, but a couple years ago, like this switch flipped. And I love sparkling water. Like I drink it over, I hate regular, like regular water sucks. It's like boring. It's like has no bubbles. Like I want sparkling water. But one of the things that to me was so frustrating was that line, the essence of whatever, because it just, it's just infuriating to me. But what I think we should do with this list is say, is there any essence of sin 
in my heart or in my life. Because it's easy to ignore the essence because it's so small. It is so little. But what I think would be wise and what I think Peter is also trying to do as he's writing this letter is say, root this stuff out. And if there's even just the slightest hint of it, get rid of it. So we're gonna use it as a mirror. So the first one would be arrogance. And so I've got a question up there that says, I actually forgot my question. I didn't write it down on my piece of paper. Where am I blind to my shortcomings? Right, that I don't wanna be corrected. I think I'm so great and I've, I've put blinders on and I won't let people correct me in a certain area. I just won't. I'm too afraid of it, whatever it might be. So where am I blind to my shortcomings? Second would be addicted to pleasures. Where am I addicted to feeling good? This could be in the area of food. This could be in the area of sex. This could be in the area of consumption, of playing games. This could be in so many areas that maybe you're addicted to that dopamine rush. You just need to feel good all the time. And so the question would be, where am I addicted to feeling good? Carousing in broad daylight, not a word we use very often, but the idea here is that you are so bold in your rights and how you function the people who are carousing in broad, day, in broad daylight are people who are drunk in the daytime. And they're, they're cool with it. They're like, yeah, we're going to go to wild parties. We're going to do whatever we want. We're drunk. It's daytime, day drunk. We're good. Let's go. And what Peter is saying is that you, you're doing, these people are doing that and they're okay with it, but it's a little off. It's, it's kind of frowned upon. It's, it's culturally inappropriate and probably not healthy and or wise. And so my question would be, where are you comfortable in the things that you do that others might think are just a touch out of line. But you think, oh no, it's a right, I can do this. It's none of your business. It not, might not be the wisest, it might not be the healthiest thing or the most upright thing to do. Obsessed with adultery, these false teachers were obsessed with adultery. The, the, the picture, the, the, the original language was trying to communicate and it was a, a specifically written to a uh, kind of a patriarchal culture. So they use the, the male looking at the female is the example they give. And so it was this idea, the phrasing is that his eyes were filled with women. And the, the, the picture Peter's trying to capture is that these false teachers were looking at every single woman as if they were an opportunity for an affair. Every single person as an option. And so my question would be to us today is, do I give myself a long leash with lust? That maybe you're not quite that far, but do, you, do I have a tendency to look at people as options? Am I, am I obsessed with adultery? Am I obsessed with that part of consumption? Compulsive in sin. Where, where do I lack self-control? The idea of compulsive in sin is, is like, yeah, it's just the first thing I'm gonna do. I'm compulsive about it. There's not, there's not any control on how I act. I'm gonna be compulsive in my actions and my attitude. And so Peter's critique is they're compulsive in their sin. They're just out there doing whatever without even giving it a second thought. So where, where do we, where do I, where do you lack self-control? And this one, this one's, to me, I, I love the, the way that this is laid out. I think it's just a clever phrase, but their specialty is greed and they are experts at it. 
And, and all throughout the New Testament, there are, there are P- Peter and Paul, they, they give imagery of training, then they use sports, you know, like they use the Olympics, they use all this, all this uh, image, they use running a race as these images of how we're supposed to train in following Jesus, that we're supposed to be training ourselves and building ourselves up the same way we would preparing for a game or, or, or uh, a competition, that we're, we're putting our, our spiritual life through that same test for godliness. And then Peter's flipping that imagery on its head and he's saying, these people are so awful. These false teachers are so bad. They're trained in the same way in greed and covetousness. They are so crafty in the way that they handle that. They are experts at greed. And so the question would be, where where am I greedy? Is my posture a posture of greed? Or generosity, because I think greed is a posture. Greed is a posture similar to the way generosity is a posture, because it's more than just a. It's more than just about money. It's more than just about little moments. It's do you normally try and get as much as you can and hoard it, or do you naturally have this propensity to give things away and share with others? And greed masks itself all the time. Greed puts itself in places where. And especially in our culture today, here's what you hear. It's, I heard it almost all of December. You deserve the new iPhone 15 Pro, only at Verizon. They literally say it, you deserve this. And what is that trying to get you to feel? A sense of entitlement and greed and consumption to go, I too deserve that. I didn't even think about it, but now that you say it, I deserve it, I'm gonna get one. Because I need more, which is the, kind of the definition of greed is I need more. It's discontentedness, right? Uh, a quote by a guy named Barclay says it this way. What these evil men who were troubling Peter's people were doing was to say that they loved and served Christ while the things they taught and did were a complete denial of him, which is a scathing review of their actions. The things they taught and did were a complete denial of him. So my question is, where is my living a denial of who Jesus is? And then Peter takes some time and he says, hey, the way these people live, so he moves on and he says, the way these people live, it's empty. He's gonna use all sorts of imagery to give you a picture of how meaningless and empty their teachings is. He, he talks about uh, a cloud a storm with no rain. He talks about a fountain with no water. He talks about hot air. He, he gives all this imagery and all of it is trying to give us the impression that if you go down their way, it ends in nothingness. It's empty. It doesn't have value. So don't go down their road because it's empty. Their way is chains instead of freedom. So my final point would be this, chained by freedom. Chained by freedom. And what he's going to do is he's going to take this phrase and it says they promise, this is in, uh, I believe, verse seven, uh, 18 or 19. They promise these newcomers freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For if they're addicted to corruption and they are, they are enslaved. And so what he's saying is even in their promise, even in their lies, they're promising freedom, but all they're selling is enslavement. And it's enslavement to the same thing that they're enslaved to. And so where we look to for happiness, satisfaction, and freedom, where are we looking for that? 
because this happens today. Our culture will sell us lies. Our, our people will unfortunately sell us lies of where we're going to find happiness, satisfaction, and freedom, and freedom being the key one. And so the culture often says to us, just look inside you. If you want to be free, you got to find the real you, and it's all inside you. Just be you, and you will find ultimate freedom. Or another example lie would be, um, which, which the reason I think that, just real quick, the reason I think that's a lie is because that's not all there is to life. Like we're created for community. I think there's truth in scripture. So just a quick caveat there. But some other example lies that, that we're told in our culture would be like, buy now, pay later. Don't wait. You should be free to buy whatever you want. Go get it. Don't, don't wait. Don't let, don't let your paycheck get in the way of that. You should be way more free to purchase whatever you want. Do you want that new TV, that new phone? Do you want that new car? Do you want that, 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 that? And they say that's freedom. Freedom is spending however you want, whenever you want. That's enslavement to debt because when your next paycheck comes, it's already been told where to go. That's enslavement. Another one, another lie could be, hey, if people disagree with you, they're toxic. Get them out of your life. And so you're constantly enslaved to the idea that nobody should disagree with me. That's not freedom because disagreement makes us all better and stronger. We grow in disagreement and in good, deep, rich conversation. Another lie, if you don't express yourself sexually, you're not free. That's, some people would call that today oppression or repression, you name it. There's so many different ways that they phrase it. But that's not all there is. And that's empty to go down that road. If you're, if you're not expressing yourself sexually, you are not free to be you. But that becomes a terrible master when you're chasing, quote unquote, sexual freedom. That's a terrible master because it drives you. Our freedom can become freedom to destroy ourselves. That whatever becomes the thing that drives our actions, that consumes our thoughts, that pushes us in motion, can become the thing that just destroys us, consumes us, and takes over everything in, our sides, in, our, in ourselves because it's not fulfilling and it doesn't ultimately bring happiness, satisfaction, and freedom. And some of these things are gray, right? They're not necessarily wrong, but in the extremes, left unchecked, bring us to a place where we are a slave to it instead of a servant of Jesus. So then, what leads to freedom? And I would submit to you tonight that true freedom comes from obedience. And what Jesus invites us into is human flourishing. And that's what Peter is trying to remind this early church of, is that human flourishing is what's at, what's at stake. So that's why he spends all of chapter one reminding them what it looks like and warning them here in chapter two. And so here's, here's a list to filter. This is my list. You can borrow it. You might disagree with it and that's fine. But here's my list to filter if some things might be getting in the way or might be coming something that's driving me when it shouldn't be. Does it distract? Is the thing I'm looking at actually distracting me from something more important I should be doing? Then I'm probably giving too much of myself to it. Does it numb me? Am I just trying to get away? It's, then it's probably driving me and has too much control over me. Does it give me a false sense of control that I feel like I'm in the driver's seat? Well, then I might be giving myself over to that. Does it give me a hit of dopamine? Man, that dopamine is so good. But if it gives me that, there's danger there because it can control me because all I'm doing is craving another hit, another hit, another hit. Or is it an easier way? 
Is this easier? And so I'm just going down that road because I don't want to do the hard thing. I don't want to do the difficult thing. So here's some questions. Could you be a slave to alcohol without being an alcoholic? Just to take the edge off. Could you be a slave to lust without looking at things you shouldn't? It's just in your mind. Greed, even though you don't make that much money, that all you're thinking about is how to get one more paycheck, one more dollar. Or consumerism, even though you don't have a limitless budget, that what makes you feel good is one more purchase. And then Peter wraps up the, this with this, <laughs> this proverb of the dog returning to its vomit and the, the pig returning to the mud. And what he's trying to say in that is, when you have people who are looking for hope and freedom and they turn to Jesus, that's a great place to be. But if that person goes to Jesus and says, I'm gonna follow you, and then says, oh, that's too hard. I'm gonna find an easier way. His point in that proverb is saying that person is worse off because they're not looking for true freedom. They're looking for an easier way. And that is a really bad place to be where all you're looking for is the easy way out. That's what Peter's trying to say in that final bit about the, the dog vomit and the, the pig. All right, so what do we do? What do we do with an intense passage like this? What do we do as the church, as a group of people who say, hey, you know what, I think I want to follow Jesus in this. And so what Peter is trying to do is he's trying to help us identify the lies. He's, he's, he takes all of chapter one or most of chapter one, to just say, hey, this is what it looks like to have a productive, fruitful life. My, Peter says, my heart for you, church, is that you would have a rich welcome into the kingdom of God, that you would have a productive, fruitful, healthy life in Jesus. And that's what he wants for the church. That's what he wants for us. And so he's gonna give these reminders, but then he's going to give this strong warning. That's why we zoomed in. And he's saying he doesn't want us to stumble. In John 10, chapter 10, Jesus says this, he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And so what this tied in with the rest of scripture is trying to say is that we know God's heart for us is to have a full, rich, and flourishing life. And everything Peter is warning us of is the opposite of that. It's don't go down this road. Don't take this way it's empty because God's heart for you, God's heart for me, Jesus, the whole reason he came was to bring life and bring it to the full. He can bring freedom. He can bring justice. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why on a, on a, night, on a Tuesday night in January in 2024, why we would gather at all is because we want to look at scripture. And why do we want to look at scripture? Because we say that scripture is a source of truth that points to someone. Who does it point to? It all points to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's, my friends, what brings true freedom. And as humans, I think what Peter's trying to sum it all up in this way, that we are prone to drift. We just sang it in that, in that hymn. That's my favorite hymn, Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We are prone to drift. We are prone to find the easy way life. It's easy to get lost. We love hearing that things could be easier. We don't see clearly all the time. Sometimes it's hard to see clearly. And so that's why Peter wrote this. We don't like being corrected, but being blind doesn't do us any favors. And then finally, we're forgetful. 
We see throughout scripture, we see throughout history, we are just a forgetful people. And so Peter is reminding the church who we are and what's true. So then I think what Peter's trying to say is this, that we need an anchor. That even though we are prone to drift, we need an anchor, and that anchor is the person of Jesus. We need a mirror. We need a mirror to see clearly, and I would say that those two things are scripture and community. We are, we are built, science points to it, regardless of what you believe, science and all, I've read so many different people who think way different than I do, point to our physiolog- physiology, found it, and who we are and the way our brains and our bodies are built, that isolation is bad for us. We need community to be the fullest version of ourselves. And so we need a mirror to point out, and that is scripture and community helping us be true humans. And then we need to remember. And I would say that we remember through three things mainly. Number one would be a rhythm. The rhythm of the year, the rhythm of a week, the rhythm of these establishments that have happened to help remind us and get us into things that get us in front of what truth is. Liturgy. Liturgy is a, is a kind of a churchy word that's just kind of a pattern that you follow, whether you feel like it or you're not. And you often see that in church services. Our liturgy tonight was we sang, we worship, we praised, and then we have a teaching, this message, and then we'll have some community before and after. That, that's the liturgy of the evening. But liturgies are healthy for us because they put us in rhythms in a consistent and intentional way that points toward Jesus. And finally, it would be a rule of life. And a rule of life is the spiritual practices. It's the things that make up your life that point you towards whatever you're pointing at. And hopefully that's Jesus. And so we need a rule of life to remind us and to build structure in how we live so that we're always bending closer and closer towards Jesus. And what I, what I, want, what I want to make sure is happening tonight, so with, with a, <laughs> thank you for enduring with me. This is not like a super fun, like, go get them, like, we've got hope passage, right? But, but what I think is beautiful about it is that this can bring what I would call course corrections, subtle changes that might need to be made and reminders in our hearts and in our lives. And this could be maybe a, what would be called a cautionary tale, that you would look at somebody who's so far off and go, ooh, I don't want that list to be true of me. And we would call that a cautionary tale to say, that's not where I want to end up. And ultimately, please hear this, because this sometimes can happen in spiritual church environments when we bring scripture and a list like this into a situation. It's, this is not behavior modification. This is not just clean up these things and then Jesus will love you. No, no, no. This, this is reminding ourselves that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he has invited us into human flourishing by saying, this is how I made you. Live this way. Follow my way, and you will flourish as a human. This is not behavior modification, but true life and freedom. True gospel, which means good news, is what we're talking about, the, the person of Jesus. The true gospel provides life, and a distorted gospel is empty. All right, so here's, here's some questions I want to leave you with as we, as we conclude tonight. Where do I need to look out for false teaching? Where am I potentially blinded to the truth? Where do I need to look out? Second would be, what essence of sin needs to be removed? That when you hold up that mirror, when you see that list, 
Was there something that floated in the surface like, oh yeah, I can see a little bit of me in that. I need to root that out. Are there any chains masquerading as freedom in your life? Things that are promising freedom but are only resulting in enslavement. And then finally, am I looking for the easy way? Friends, thank you for letting me share such an intense passage. I want to pray for you um, because I I hope that that the Holy Spirit has done something in your heart and your mind tonight um, with just a bizarre passage in in 2 Peter. But but what I would also want to open it up to um, as we conclude is I'm going to hang around for a little while. And so if there's anything that was like, man, I had no idea what you meant there or ah, not sure, dude, that seemed crazy. Uh, you can come up and talk to me and I'd love to ch- chat with you, get to know you uh, and wrestle through anything that seemed just weird. Uh, but let me pray for you uh, as, we, as we conclude. God, thank you so much for this group of people that would gather together to, to sing and to, to study scripture and to say, who are you, Jesus, and how do we follow you and look more like you every single day? And I pray that as we studied this um, passage in Second Peter that was written hundreds of years ago, that Holy Spirit, you would take it and you would, you would plant things in our hearts and our minds that would help mold us to reflect you that we would be changed, that we would be different because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Would you help us take steps toward you? Would you give us wisdom and discernment? Would you become our anchor? And God, as we spend time in community, would you just, just bring great relationships to each and every person in here that we might find life and truth together pursuing you? We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.